0: Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Live Church Orlando, where we encourage you to live your life His way. For more information about Live Church and other resources, please visit livechurchorlando.com. Amen. Is Is there a section of expectation anywhere in the room? Amen. You're expecting something great for God? Amen. I believe that God meets you at the point of your expectation and if you have high expectations God can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think come on take your seat take your seat take your seat It's so good to be with you. I'm really, really excited about the word that the Lord has for us to share. And so for everybody that's just been taking good care of us, from Thad to the hospitality, amen. Come on, you guys have a phenomenal church with some phenomenal leaders. It's not hard to find a church, but it is hard to find a a church with good leadership. And so to have uh, phenomenal leadership from the top to the bottom, you guys are a blessed church. And we really, really greet you in Jesus' name. My name is Brian Meadows. I'm a pastor uh, in Atlanta, Georgia of a church called Embassy Church. We've been there for probably about seven years. Thank you so much. Amen. For about seven years. And the Lord's just been doing some really, really ridiculous and phenomenal things in our church. And so I'm really excited about where we are as the body of Christ and as a generation. I believe that there is a movement. Move of God on the mind of God for our generation and I'm really grateful to be a part of that and so we're going to be articulating a few things concerning that this morning and we want to go ahead let's get our Bibles out and we're going to Genesis chapter 22 Genesis chapter 22 um my story as a believer is a unique one um, even though I grew up in a Christian home, my mom and my dad uh, were practicing Christians. My mom was a practicing Christian. My dad was a Christian in thought, you know, or a Christian in history. His family was born as, you know, his family was in Christianity, but he was not necessarily practicing. Um, and so when I was about eight, ten years old, eight, nine, ten years old, I used to do martial arts as a child. I used to travel the world, do martial arts. I used to do competitions and tournaments and all of this different kind of stuff. I thought that that was actually what I was gonna do Um, with my life. I was going to have schools and travel the world and do that. Um, But the Lord wrecked my life in uh, uh, May of 2004. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, In 2003, my mom was uh, uh, diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor and she was given six months to live. And as a Buddhist, I had no type of, I guess, element or I had no type of instrument of healing and I didn't know what to do. And so right before my baccalaureate, you know, usually right before you graduate and it's graduation season. So congratulations to all of our graduates, amen. What a phenomenal job. And so right before our graduation, we had a baccalaureate, and we would always have like a baccalaureate rehearsal. And so on the day that we were practicing, on the day that we were getting ready for our baccalaureate rehearsal, my mom actually collapsed and had a seizure. And during that time, I didn't know what to do. As a Buddhist, uh, I didn't know what prayer to pray. I didn't know what incense to light. I didn't necessarily know uh, what to do. But I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother used to say, you could lay hands on the sick. And in the name of Jesus, they would recover. So as a Buddhist right there in the living room, nobody around with my mom convulsing in a seizure. I put my hands on my mom and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, heal my mom. My mom came to. And she actually drove me to the backlot rehearsal. You're not supposed to drive after a seizure because the percentage of you having an aftershock is very, very high. But my mom, my, my, my father was not in our life, and so my mom had no choice. She put me in the car and she drove me to backlot rehearsal. I got out, did backlot rehearsal. She went to the doctor and came back. Same day, she went to the doctor, came back. Whenever she would pick me up from school, I would always have her pick me up away from the crowd because my, my mom had an old green Sunfire Pontiac where the passengers the passenger door in order to open it. You had to lift it up off the hinges in order to open it. So I was always embarrassed whenever my mom would come pick me up. So when she came to pick me up, I told her, I said, go down to the far side of the parking lot so I can meet you down there. But I could see that she was crying. I thought that she was crying because she was embarrassed that I didn't want to be seen in her green uh, Sunfire Pontiac. Uh, But I got in the car and I said, Mom, I'm sorry, I just didn't want my friends to see it. And she's bawling. And I'm like, are you okay? I've never seen you this upset about me not wanting to be seen in this car. And she said, she went to the doctor, and I knew intrinsically, internally, that she had bad news. And so I said, well, what did the doctor say? She said, the doctor can't find a brain tumor anywhere amen that was may 2004 is now what and she's in our church on the front row worshiping every sunday come on can somebody give jesus some? so i want you to understand that was my introduction into christianity so that's why i don't understand boring christians i don't understand silent christians i don't understand christians with low expectation our god can do it All things are possible to them that believe. Come on, y'all, sit down. And so I wanted you to know a little bit about me because I feel miracles in the room. Amen. I don't care what you came with, I don't care what pain you have. In the presence of our God, He can make all things new. Come on, somebody say, Amen. And so I don't want you to listen to a stranger this morning. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who my wife is. I think that is going to make impartation a lot easier. Amen. All right. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. I've told that testimony all over the world, even on TBN, and um, you'll be surprised. You know what testimonies do? My brother said it earlier. He said, we overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. One of the functions of a testimony is to grow faith. Whenever we share our testimony, it grows faith. It shifts the environment from skepticism to belief so that God can do phenomenal things. So look at somebody and tell them, tell your testimony, tell your testimony. You got to tell your testimony. All right. We're in Genesis 22. We're going to read a few verses of scripture this morning. For the past couple of years, this is not a new journey for me. Um, For the past couple of years, uh, the Lord's been dealing with me about altars, uh, the place of dedication, the place of devotion, and the place of discipline. As a Buddhist, we understood the function, the veracity, and the formidability of altars. Every Buddhist has an altar in their own. Uh, Where they would burn incense, where they would pray, and uh, they would commune with their deity or their God. And when I got saved, it was interesting to note that when I got saved and became a Christian, Christians didn't have altars. I was quite shocked that Christians didn't have a place to meet with God in their home. It seems like their dedication, their devotion, and their discipline was at an all-time low. And uh, it's still quite a phenomenon in the body of Christ. Most of us don't have a prayer schedule. Most of us don't have a time where we meet with God. And because of that, our lives are in disarray. And so the Lord really began to emphasize to me the purpose and the need, the function, and the importance of altars. And that's what we're going to deal with tonight from Genesis 22. Once you got it, let me know you got it by saying, I got it. We're going to start reading at verse number one. Go down to about verse number six. We're going to skip to verse number nine, but it's going to be good and it came to pass after these things. Now, I'm a note-taking preacher, and so if you're taking notes, I want you to underline where it says, and it came to pass. That phrase, you're going to see all throughout the Bible. This is prophetic language. Whenever you see this phrase in your Bible, it means that you are entering into a scene that is already unfolding. God has already released a word. God has already released a promise, and now that promise is beginning to come to pass. Hear me In the presence of God, the mysteries of God are unraveled. In the presence of God, the promises of God are sure. The scripture says it like this. All the promises of God in him are what? Yes and amen. And so in the presence of God, you'll begin to see that word begin to accelerate. If there's a word over your head, if there's a word over your life, if you've ever gotten a prophetic word, a declaration, or a confession of your calling, it is in the presence of God that that word begins to come to pass and so the scripture says and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and you can write down of course in your notes that the proper word there is to try to prove or to test Hebrews tells us that God tempts no man it is not God tempting you with flesh sin issues addiction Uh, it is true or it is uh, uh, secure in the Bible that God tempts no man but the word there is to try or to prove And he said unto Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou love, and get thee into the land. Everybody say into. Not onto, but into the land of Moriah. This is showing us that it's not just a destination, it's a dimension. All right. It's not just a geographical location. It is a place in God. He says, I want you to go into, not onto, but into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning because the scripture says early in the morning will I seek thee and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Verse number four. Then on the third day, everybody say the third day. He lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Now, it's interesting to note that this is the first time the word worship is found in our Bible. This is the first time the concept of worship begins to emerge from the scripture. And he says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand. Now, this is going to be important, y'all. Everybody say the fire. fire. Come on, y'all. Say it with some faith. Say the fire fire. is in my hand. That's going to make sense in just a moment. He took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. Let's go down to verse number 9. Verse number 9 real quick. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. I need everybody to say in order. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar Upon the wood. I'm gonna read verse number nine one more time just for emphasis. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. Notice he puts the son on order. Did you see that? He he, he laid the wood in order and then he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. All right. We're going to be dealing with just for a couple of minutes this morning with the subject, put it in order. Put it in order. All right. Now, I need you to find somebody with an attitude and tell them, put it in order. Come on. Tell somebody that. All right. Put it in order order now hear me the reason you have to say this with faith is because you don't know what's out of order in their life all right so you got to tell them to put it in order they may need to put their money in order their family in order their sexuality in order but tell one more person come on look down your road and tell them put it in order Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for divine order. We thank you for the aggression of the Spirit of God to put things in their proper place. Father, we ask, oh God, that you will remove anything in our life distracting us from your presence and distracting us from your glory and that you will prioritize your presence in our life. Be at the center of everything that we do. This is our promise toward you. It is in Jesus name that we pray. Come on, every believer said amen. 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 Now, every generation has its own problems, right? Every people group has uh, their own perplexities. Uh, In every generation, you will see uh, things that enter into that dispensation that will cause distraction. Uh, whether it was the baby boomers generation X uh, Whether it's now the Millennials uh, it used to be we were in the age of information I don't know if y'all remember the year 2000 y2k y'all remember that Where We thought the world was going to end. everybody was buying water and everything like that Because we thought that this was going to be the end of civilization as we know it and then when the world wide web Emerged or uh, when it uh, descended when we finally was um, you know introduced to the internet and the global became very very small uh, things like the advent of Facebook and Twitter and so, and, and, and so forth and so on. As those things began to emerge we started to have problems that previous generations never had. And even in our generation now, as social media begins to really take the uh, bulk and take the majority of our time and our attention, this generation is dealing with problems that our parents didn't have to deal with. And because of that, the solutions many times for our problems are not behind us. They're in front of us. And so you need people that are willing to move from where they are and go into the future to find solutions for problems that have not even risen yet. And this is how Abraham was. Abraham was this type of gift and this is why God chose Abraham. Abraham was a futurist. He did not live in the present moment. He was willing to move from where he was and go into the future and meet God. You can write down Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham by name. He calls him Abram at this particular time and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave Babylon, leave confusion, leave Ur of the Chaldees and come to a place that I will show you. The entire lifespan, the entire career of Abraham's face is riddled with it is laced with this concept of Abraham leaving where he is and following God. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is a it is a ministry of movement. It is a religion of movement. It is not stacked, it is not stagnant, it is not static. It is kinetic. You can only meet with God when you're willing to move from where you are. Amen. The kingdom of God is constantly moving. It is a moving religion. It is a moving faith. You cannot be in the kingdom of God and be in the same place this year that you were in last year because the kingdom of God continues to move. And this was one of the things that God loved about Abraham because Abraham was nomadic. He got bored being in the same place for too long. Right. And that's how we are. What social media has done to us is give us a short attention span. Right. We all got ADHD. This is not this is no longer just a diagnosis for a few of us. This is the diagnosis of an entire generation. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you can be looking at your phone, got something on your iPad and have something on TV and your your energy, your activity or your attention is pulled in so many different directions is hard to focus. It's an epidemic that we're seeing all around the world that it becomes hard to focus. It's hard to worship without checking your phone. It's hard to pray without checking your phone. And so I believe that one of the things that is on the heart and on the mind of God is altars. A place of dedication, a place of devotion, a place where you can cut out all the noise and focus on God. And focus on God. So we need order. Everybody say order. We need order. If a life is going to be productive, we must have order. There are four dynamics of the kingdom of God. Now, I got a lot to give you at the beginning of this presentation, and then we'll move with light speed. But I want you to take some notes. There are four dynamics of the kingdom of God. Number one, order. Order. The kingdom of God is a system of order order the bible says in john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life did you know the word world there when the scripture says for god so loved the world the word world don't mean people the word world there is the greek word cosmos and it literally means the proper arrangement of things When God died, when Jesus came to the earth and died, his death put things in. See, Adam's fall put things out of order, but it was Jesus' death that put things back in order. And this is why when you get saved, the first thing that you should do is start to put your life in. Amen. Once you get saved, you need to delete every number, amen, that's going to take your life out of the presence of God. You need to block every person on Instagram, block every person on Facebook that's going to drive or draw your attention away from God. Because watch me, disorder turns blessings into curses. You can have a phenomenal job, but if your life is out of order, you won't find time enough to pray, time enough to worship, or time enough to be focused or have the energy that you need to be productive. Most of us, watch me y'all, most of us, we have enough time. To do what God needs us to do. But because our life is out of order. It feels like we don't have enough time. We all got the same 24 hours. We all have the same amount of minutes and seconds. So why is it that they're productive. But you're not. It's because their life is in in order. Order is very important. The kingdom of God functions in four dynamics. Number one order. Number two rank. R-A-N-K. Rank. Rank. This is when you put things in their proper place. All rank is, is an arrangement based on priority. In my life, you have to rank certain things, right? If God is number one, nobody else can be above that. This is why the scripture says, make no God or put no God before me. Because God always wants to be the highest ranking person on your priority list, right? So number one, we have order. Number two, we have rank. Number three, we have protocol. Protocol. I want you to write that down protocol is how rank and order function together because when you have things of different priority and of different purpose but they're in the same proximity you have to then prioritize what to address this is protocol right See, all of us have protocol there's a way to enter into your life and there's a way to exit your life now now look I'm a pastor and so protocol is very important to me there's a way to enter into a church right there's a way to join a church there should be a way to Uh uh-oh right there's always protocol what protocol does is preserve energy and anointing that's what protocol does do you remember the woman with the issue of blood Right The woman with the issue of blood, the scripture says that she crawled behind Jesus. y'all know how we preach it, that she crawled behind Jesus and she stretched, A man, and she touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible, y'all know, we preach it like that. And, and the scripture says that after she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, all Jesus said, "Who touched me?" The disciples said, man, don't you see all of these people? There's a crowd of people. Why are you worried about who touched you? He said, no, no, no. That was a different type of touch. That was a touch of faith. Amen. It drew something out of me. It drew life out of me. It drew virtue out of me. And the scripture says that he turns around, he sees the woman. Of course, she's afraid. You know why she's afraid? Because she broke protocol. See, without protocol, you will lose energy and not even know where it went. Jesus lost energy and didn't even know where it went this is why at the end of the day you're tired and you ain't even got a job tired and you rested all day you know why because your life is out of order and what god is doing what god is saying is that i need you to put your order back in place i desire to bless you i desire to accelerate you but even if i bless you you won't even see it as a blessing because your life is out of order the kingdom of god functions in four dynamics order rank protocol and then lastly number four power 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 there can be no power where there is no protocol protocol. Watch me. It predicts power Did you hear what I said? Protocol predicts power see if there's proper protocol in the wiring and electricity in this building You know if you flip a switch the light is gonna come on But if there is a break in protocol, you cannot predict power See, in the days of old, when they had the tabernacle, they could predict power because there were protocols. Amen. They would take their offering to the priest. The priest would sacrifice and put it on the altar. The smoke would ascend. The smoke ascending was their sign that God had accepted the sacrifice, which gave them boldness to enter into the throne of God. Amen. So that they could worship without hindrance, worship without guilt, worship without shame, worship without condemnation. They could predict that God would be there because of protocols. They knew that God would meet them because of protocol. So four dynamics. I want you all to say women Say order. order. Say rank. rank. Say protocol. protocol. Everybody say power. power. These are the four dynamics of the kingdom of God. I got to give you one more list before we preach, all right? Um, we we, we, we want to deal with the purpose of altars. The function of altars. Why are altars important? But in order for us to do this, we have to deconstruct a world. All right? So let me just deal with this real quick, and then we'll get to altars. All right? This is what I call the cosmological order of the kingdom. All right? I created this, this I guess you can say, this list or this pattern to show us or to uh, uh, deconstruct how different worlds work. Because we are surrounded by different worlds. There's the business world, right? There's the entertainment world. There's the health and wellness world. These are different worlds that are all vying for our attention. Social media in and of itself is a world, right? You can go to one tweet, then go to a reply, and then a reply of another tweet. By the time you look at it, you are 18 layers into this world. Have you ever started to look for somebody on Instagram, but before you knew it, you were buying something and you're wondering, how did I get here? You know why? Because social media is a world. We are surrounded by worlds, all wanting our attention, all asking for our investment. And so let's talk about how worlds work. Somebody say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Every world is made up of kingdoms. Every world is made up of kingdoms. So if you deal with, say, the planet Earth, the planet Earth is broken down into, quote-unquote, nations and such. You, you can kind of deconstruct it from continents to nations and regions, blah, blah, blah. But every world is made up of kingdoms. The kingdom of America, the kingdom of Great Britain, the kingdom of this, the kingdom of that. But every world is made up of kingdoms. Uh, if you're dealing with, say, the soft drink world, you have different kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Coke. Right. Kingdom of Pepsi. They've been warring for a long time. Right. Like Game of Thrones, you have different kingdoms. But even in the kingdom of Coke, watch me. Every world is made up of kingdoms. Every kingdom is divided into realms. Realms. So if you have the kingdom of Coke, Coke is divided into different realms. You have the realm of Phantom. You have the realm of Sprite. Right, I go to South Africa a lot. They got the realm of ginger beer. Anybody like ginger beer? All right. So you have different realms, right? A realm. If you think about a a, a nation like Great Britain, the nation of Great Britain, that nation could not be uh, governed by the by the Queen directly. It had to be governed by the Queen indirectly. So what they did, they took the kingdom and they divided it into realms, and they put somebody over each realm, called a lord. Did you know the word Lord in the Greek is the word curious, and it literally means an owner of land, a governor of earth. This is why when you get born again, he's not just your savior. Jesus is not just your savior. He's also your Lord, meaning that he owns your land, which is your body. Right? You can't get saved and not give him your body. Oh, y'all got real quiet on that. Amen. You can't get saved and then be like, but my body is my own. I can do what I want. with my..." No, no, no. Your body belongs to God. Amen. This is why the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because your body is actually God's property. That's why the next time somebody tries to touch you, say, "This this don't belong to me. Amen. You can't do what you want with stuff that don't belong to you. And so, every world is made up of kingdoms. Every kingdom is divided into realms. Every realm is made up of dimensions. All dimension is is measurement. Height, width, breadth, depth. This is Ephesians chapter 1. But all a dimension is is a measurement. Some people are two-dimensional. Others are three-dimensional. Follow what I'm saying, right? Um, Are you married? Not married? Sad. You mad? (laughs) Come here real quick, alright? Look at this chipper young man, alright? Now, it's good to see you, brother, alright? Now, put this behind your back, put this behind your back, alright? Because you know how women is, they see that red and wing. Right. So, if you looked at him from face value, all you would see is that he's a man. You wouldn't know that he was married. All you would see, watch me, is one side of him. But he's multidimensional. He's not just a man. He's also a son. Because he didn't get here by himself. You got children. He's also a father. That's another dimension. That's another side. See, you got to stop judging people from the one side you see. See, people will see one side of you and then try to put you in a box. But look at somebody and tell them, I'm multidimensional. Amen. I got many different sides. And then, once you see that wedding ring, you find out he's a husband. So he is multi dimensional. Because of his multi dimensional makeup, he can then lord over a realm, which is his family. Are you following me? All right? Thank you so much. Come on, let's put our hands together for our awesome volunteer. Amen. Thank you. He's multidimensional. Hear me. God is multidimensional. He's not one. He's not a one-dimensional God. On one side, He's Jehovah Jireh. On another side, He's Jehovah Nisi. On another side, He's Jehovah Rapha. On another side, y'all better preach with me, Amen. He's multidimensional. And watch me. The great thing about our God is that He never reveals all of Himself at one time. He waits for divine opportunities. He waits for destiny moments to show you another side. I don't know what I feel in here But I feel like God wants to show you Another side of himself If you can hold on and not let Come on Jacob If you can hold on and not let go God's about to show you Another side, amen He's multidimensional Every world is made up of kingdoms Every kingdom is divided into realms Every realm is made up of dimensions Every dimension is comprised of levels In order for this man to be a husband, there are certain levels that he had to master. Come on now. All right. If he's going to be a man, he got to know how to cut some grass. He got to know how to protect somebody. If he can't fight, at least got to have a strong right hook. Have something. Amen. But there are certain levels that he must have mastered. Don't marry a person who's not mastered certain levels. Come on, y'all. I know you want a man with money, but it's 2019. I want a woman with money. That's my first clap that I got from you. Amen? I thank you. (laughs) All right, there are certain, don't look at me like that. There are certain levels that you must master. There used to be a time that if you got married, people knew how to cook. People knew how to wash clothes. People knew. Now you get married, both of y'all just looking at each other like, Let's work it out together. Amen. All right. Why? Because, in order to formulate a dimension, a dimension is comprised of levels. They ain't got a lot of time. Come on, let's go through this. But every level is accessed by doors. And every door is open by keys. Now, I didn't do this at the beginning um, because I didn't have a chance to kind of go through that, and I'm not going to belabor the point. We do have some resources in the back, and so everything that we don't finish is in our books in the back. So I would love to meet you back there and make sure you get a book. But every world, and let's do it one more time, every world is made up of kingdoms. Every kingdom is divided into realms. Every realm is made up of dimensions. Every dimension is comprised of levels. Every level is accessed by doors, and every door is open by keys all right now. Let's deal with the world if I say world. world one more time say world. world Let's deal with the world. Every world is a spherical system By spherical we means that it's round in shape every world is a spherical system and By spherical we also mean that it matures through turning through rotations through seasons or cycles Everything that is three-dimensional or everything that is spherical matures through turning or through revolving. You will see this in Genesis chapter 1 where the scripture says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day, third day, fourth day. When it says the evening and the morning, it's not talking about uh, the process of time passing. Because in order to go from darkness to light, the earth must turn. Turn. In order to go from darkness to light, the earth must, in order for you to go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you must turn. The word turn means to repent. Because every spherical system matures through turning. You get better every time you tell God, I'm sorry. Now, I, like, I feel like running in here. You get better every time you repent. You get better every time you address your sin. Every time you turn away from what the enemy is trying to get you to focus on, you get better. And this is why God loved Abraham. Because Abraham was a master at turning his back. He was a master at turning away and walking away. What if I told you faith is not about what you can get? Faith is about what you can walk away from. The highest level of faith is not getting a car or getting a house. The highest level of faith is being able to walk away from your past life, being able to walk away from your ex, being, away, being able to walk away from a job that's trying to take all of your time and giving you no time to worship God. So a world, come on now, a world is a spherical system. I want you to write this down, which is complete with its own atmosphere, climate, and culture. Come on, let's teach. A world is a spherical system which is complete with its own atmosphere, its own environment, its own climate, and its own culture. Hear me. God is not a God of waste. Before God creates a thing, he always creates a suitable environment to sustain what he creates. God is not a god of waste. He's never going to give you a job that you can't manage. He's never going to give you a man that you can't manage. He's never going to give you an opportunity that you don't have the ability to meet with excellence. God is not a God of waste. He never creates a thing before he creates an environment to sustain the thing that he created. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Come on, y'all. Let's teach. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. When you get it, we'll start reading at verse number 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, the word moved is the important word there. That's the Hebrew word rakath, and it literally means God hovered. He lingered, he brooded. The connotation there or the Hebrew picture that it gives us is like a hen sitting on its egg creating the right climatic conditions in order for what's in the egg to begin to germinate, grow, be cultivated and get bigger. So what God did to the earth before he created anything, he sat on the earth and created the right conditions before he created cuz he knew if I created the if I created without the right atmosphere, what I create won't live long. So before i create i'm gonna create the right atmosphere so that what i create can be sustained in the environment that i create for it come on somebody say amen before you take the job create an environment that will sustain your relationship with god after you get the job before you get married create an environment that will sustain the marriage amen before you go back to school Create an environment where you can study, create an environment where you can pray, create an environment where you can do your work or it's going to be hard, amen, fighting against the atmosphere, trying to sustain your educational life. So you have to create an environment. God is not a God of waste. Before God creates a thing, he always creates a suitable environment to sustain what he creates. Let's go to Genesis 2. Come on, let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, let's go down to verse number 5. Genesis 2, verse number 5, it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man hmm, to till the ground. So now, God wants to do great things in the earth, but he notices, number one, the earth is dry. It's hard to do stuff with dry people. Come on, if you want to start a business, when you pitch your business idea, you don't want to pitch a business idea and you're really excited and then after you give them the business idea, they're like, that'll work. You dry? Amen. You don't want to tell your girlfriend about the date that you went on and be like, girl, he was dark skinned, he was tall, he got money, and they're like... Okay. No, you don't want to give your testimony to somebody dry. You want to give your testimony to somebody that will reciprocate the energy. Amen. And this is what we see here in Genesis chapter 2. God wanted to do something great, but the land was dry and there was nobody to till the ground or to make it fertile. Because one of the ways that you turn an infertile heart fertile, excuse me, an infertile soil fertile, you got to turn it. Remember repentance. You got to turn it. You have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. This is the plight of pastors. People get bored with pastors because we have to teach the same thing over and over and over and over again. But that's how you make an infertile heart fertile or a barren heart productive. So look at what the scripture says. He says he couldn't, uh, if there was no rain upon the earth. He couldn't find a man to till the ground. Look at verse number six. But there went up, we're almost there y'all, but there went up a mist from the earth. Do you see that? And what did it do? It watered the whole... We, I don't got time. We wish we had time. That word face is a very important word. But the scripture says a mist came up. So now, watch me. God wants to do something great in the earth. But he notices that the ground is dry. So he causes a mist to come up from the earth. Now, if you ever woke up early in the morning and saw that fog, that's what the mist looked like. It looked like fog... It looked like smoke. We call it glory. When God saw that the earth was barren, when God saw that the earth was He caused glory to come up from the earth And the glory made the hard dirt malleable The glory made the hard dirt shapeable The glory made the hard dirt uh, uh, formable And it is in this dirt and in this glory That God began to shape man This is Genesis chapter 2 verse number 7 He began to shape man Watch me y'all In the glory Adam was built in the glory he formed Adam in the, hear me now, you were made for the presence of God. You were made for the glory of God. This is why when you're outside the glory, you feel awkward because we were made to worship. Amen. We were made to live in the presence of God. God built Adam in the glory. He breathed into Adam's life or Adam's body, the breath of life. Adam became a living soul. He became animated. He became aware of himself. I got body, I got I can do stuff. And the Bible says that God raised Adam in the glory of God. Watch me, y'all. This mist, this smoke, this fog, this glory was so thick, Adam couldn't see his hand in front of his face. It was so thick. Watch me, he had to walk by faith. And not by sight he was in the glory of God and the glory of God was so thick him and his wife were naked and unashamed because he watched me when the glory is thick you don't see each other's limitations when the glory is thick I don't care what you're dealing with I don't care what you're going through I ain't worried about your drama I'm not nosy I'm not in your business because when the glory of God is thick on my life the only thing on my mind is to give him praise and to give him honor and to give him adoration when the glory is thick but all of y'all know the story in Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the moment they ate from revelation that did not come from God the moment they got information from an outside source their eyes were open watch me and they realize because when the glory got thin when people stop worshiping we start seeing each other's problems when there's no glory in the house, we become more enamored by your issue than we are about God's agenda. When there's no glory in the house, it becomes what did Sister Sally may say? What did Auntie Shirley say? It becomes all about our problems, our issues, our drama, and our complaints. But it is the glory of God that overshadows our complaints. It's the glory of God. Come on, somebody shout glory. glory. So Adam and Eve, watch me out. they lived in the glory of God. Until Genesis chapter 3, where they ate and the glory dissipated. I want you to write down Genesis 3, verse number 21. Genesis 3, verse number 21. Look at what it says. Also for Adam, because after Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the glory dissipated, and the glory departed, they entered into an Ichabod age where there was no glory, no presence of God. So what did God do? God went looking for Adam. Adam? Where are you? Adam said, I'm hiding behind a tree. Now, this this is just me. I believe that the tree that Adam hid behind was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because we usually hide behind what we ate. We hide behind our issue. So God knew exactly where they were, but God was trying to get them to understand where they were. Amen. It wasn't that God had lost them. It was that Adam lost himself, and God was trying to get Adam. You got to find yourself, bro. You got to awaken to who you really are. Luke chapter 15. You got to come back to yourself. You're not supposed to be hiding behind a tree. I didn't watch me. I created you to grow trees, not hide behind them. Adam, where are you? He says... I'm behind the tree. Why are you behind the tree? Because we're naked. Who told you? Who told you you were naked? And so in Genesis 321, I need everybody to hear me because we're almost done. God is going to teach Adam how to bring the smoke back. Because God would only meet with man in the smoke. See, God did not meet with man in open man had to enter the presence of God the scripture says that God would meet Adam every day in the cool of the day when it says the cool of the day it's talking about the beginning of the day when the dew is at its thickest amen when the fog is at its densest and when the glory of God is at its thickest it is there and then God would meet with Adam but now there's no glory there's nowhere to meet with man and if I don't meet with you there's no way I can turn you into myself there's no way I can shape you after my own image and so now God is going to teach Adam how to get the smoke back and so the Bible says also for Adam and for his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. this is the first time in the Bible we see a life sacrificed this is the first time in the Bible where we literally see physical death Now, we know that Adam, you know, God spoke to Adam and said, the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But once they ate, they they didn't die naturally. They died spiritually. But watch me. Once they disconnected from the power source, degeneration, theological term, once they disconnected from from the source of power, they started to age. Adam was an eternal being. Adam was never supposed to age. He was supposed to have a limitless lifespan where he could accomplish the assignment of God. But now after he ate, see, watch me. See, as long as you're eating from the tree that God wants you to eat from, you'll be strong, you'll be wise, you'll be healthy, you'll be focused. But the moment you start eating from other people's Instagram, I'm... The moment you start eating from other people's lives, from other people's social media, that's the moment that you begin to die and deteriorate from the curse of comparison and the curse of competition. Look at somebody and say, get your own life. Get your own. Get your own life. Please get your own life. Amen. Because I'm having enough problems trying to take care of mine. I ain't got time to worry about yours. Come on, tell somebody. Get your own life. Get your own life. began to age So God says, look, I got to create a spot. I got to create a place for Adam to meet with me. So God entered the garden, Genesis 3.21, and he taught Adam how to bring the smoke back. He taught Adam how to build an altar. It was God that first built an altar. Now, how do we know this? Because in Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 5, when we are met by the characters of Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel go to offer sacrifices to God. Now, they couldn't have done that if they didn't see their father do that because the principle of sonship says i can only do what i see the father do this is what jesus said so the only way cain and abel could build an altar and offer sacrifices they had to see adam build an altar and offer sacrifices but adam according to luke chapter 3 was a son of god so the only way adam could build an altar he had to see his father build an altar so god elohim was the first person to build an altar He took an animal and he killed the animal and there was an exchange of life because the scripture says Leviticus 17 11, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Because watch me the moment God killed that animal and the blood of that animal hit the floor an altar was erected. Come on now. I need you to take notes. An altar is not a geographical location. An altar is a space in time. It is a moment in time where a thing is killed or sacrificed. As a matter of fact, did you know the word altar is the Hebrew word "mizbah," and it literally means the killing place. Because an altar is not at church. An altar is not at the front of the building. An altar is wherever you decide to kill it. And wherever you decide to kill it, that's where God meets you. Amen. So if you are on your way to church this morning and you say, I'm sick and tired of cigarettes, and you threw them out the window, that's where, that's where God met you. Amen. Does anybody have the testimony that God didn't wait for me to get to church, that he met me right in my living room? He met me right in the jail cell. He. God will meet you wherever you kill it. So I don't care where you are today. I don't care what you're dealing with today. If you are willing to kill it and say, God, I don't want it. God, take it away from me. God leaves where he is and he invades your space. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Somebody shout, I understand. So he taught Adam how to bring the smoke back. You would, Adam would take an animal. He would kill it put it on the altar he would light it on fire and in the smoke of that offering in the residue of that offering God would meet with man let me show you what I mean have you ever said no to something your flesh wanted to say yes to and you felt that burn you know that burn that you feel where it feels like you're disappointing somebody? It feels like you're doing the wrong thing, but you know you're doing the right thing. you know what that is? That's your will burning up. Amen. That's your opinion going into flames. That is the residue of your sacrifice. And that is where God meets you. He taught Adam how to build an altar. And all throughout history, when men wanted to meet with God, they would build an altar. They would build an altar. I got to meet with God. I'll build an altar. I need to hear from God. I'm going to build an altar. I need my family blessed. I'm going to build an altar. Every time I wanted God to intervene on my behalf, I would build an altar. We see this all the way even into the days of Noah. What Noah did that changed the game, Noah did not build an altar at any place or at any elevation. Noah went to the highest point of Mount Ararat where he comes out of the ark. When he comes out of the boat, he He builds an altar. And God meets with him. So after this, Noah creates or Noah establishes patriarchal precedent. So that every person after him, when they build an altar, they they don't do it in the valley of indecision. They don't do it in the valley of invisibility because that's what we want. We want to worship God in private. We want to go into our prayer closet and have a... See, we want to twerk in public but pray in private. God says, no, I want your faith to be on full display. Amen. Next time you go to Grand Lux, don't whisper your prayer. Lift your hands in Jesus' name and say, Father, I ask that you bless this crispy caramel chicken. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Get the crispy caramel chicken. Your life will be forever changed. God wants your faith on full display. So he taught Adam. And every person, every patriarch, every worshiper behind Adam, they would establish an altar in order to encounter God. Even in the days of Noah, he would go to the highest point, to the highest peak, and he would establish an altar. Now, these are the different elements of the altar. We're done. Let's go ahead. Let's get the altar diagram on the screen real quick. I want you to write this down because the altar has different. Go to the next one. The altar has different components. The altar has, number one, a base. This is our foundation. We're going to deal with each of these. Number two, the altar has offerings. Number three, the altar has fire. And then lastly, the altar has smoke. Watch me. No base, no offering. No offering, no fire. No fire, no smoke. No smoke, no place to meet with God. So now let's deal with the base. Give me three minutes. Give me, come on. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's deal with the base real real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because each will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test Each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he uh, has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. Now, what is he saying? Every altar has a foundation. Every life in here, your spiritual life has a foundation. It's one of six things. Look at what it says. It says gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Whatever you build upon this foundation, the fire of God will test the foundation. Let me show you what I mean. If your relationship, if your marriage is built on straw. Now, I come from the country, all right? I come from ATL, but I grew up by Augusta. I come from the country where they have haystacks. And a haystack can look like it's dense. A haystack can look like it can support weight. But the moment you jump in it, you fall through it because it has a form of godliness. But it ain't got no power. Amen. And that's how most of our Christianity is. It's just a whole bunch of straw. Just a whole bunch of stuff, right? We use Christian language. We wear Christian T-shirts. We listen to Christian music, but we still fornicating. Amen. So it's like we... It looks like we got God until weight comes. It looks like we have God until pressure comes. And when pressure comes, it shows us we really don't know. Some of us, our foundation is not strong. Our foundation is hay or think about wood. Now, the reason why this is important is because your foundation, the, 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 the formidability or the strength of your foundation will determine what you put on top of it. If, if, if your foundation and your faith is shaky, it's going to be hard for God to put anything on you. Some of us still wondering if we say. Every time we say the prayer of salvation, you'll be like. Father God, Jesus. because you are still battling with the security of your salvation. That's a faulty foundation. We can't build nothing on top of that. This is why God desires for your foundation to be sure. And that is why your foundation can be nothing else but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Now, after we have the base, let's go back to the diagram. After we have the base, you then have The offerings. The offerings. After the base, you then have the offerings. Now, this is what the scripture says. When it comes to the offerings, I want you to write down Hebrews 13:15. Hebrews 13:15. When it comes to the offerings, you would have different size offerings for different sizes of sin. You would have different size offerings for different sizes of sin. For a personal offense, you would bring a turtle dove, right? If I offended you, I got all against my brother. What I would do, I would take a small bird and I would take it to an altar, give it to the priest. The priest would literally take the bird, defeverize the bird, cut the bird in half, take the entrails out, and then put all of that on the altar. And because it was a small bird, it took about 15, 20 minutes to evaporate for the fire to consume it. Uh, if it was a family issue... If there was was family iniquity, if there was family sin, I wouldn't take a turtle dove. I would take a lamb. The Bible says for every man to take a lamb for his house. So if there was issues in my house, I would take a lamb. I would take it to the priest. The priest would put his hand on it. He would transfer the sins of this. uh, He would take the sins of the family and put it upon the lamb. And then he would take the lamb. He would kill the lamb and he would burn it. It would usually take about 15 hours for the lamb to be consumed. And then if it was a national problem, they would take a bull, a cow, they would cut it into seven parts or eight parts or nine parts, depending on the prophetic significance of what they were trying to display. They would take the, uh, the, the bullock or the bull and they would cut it into pieces and they would put it on the altar. And it usually would take 24 to 36 hours for all of that, that bull to be consumed. If it was a small sin, small, small offering. Watch me. And the time that it took to consume, the time that it took the fire to consume the offering or the sacrifice, that's how long it took you to repent and to become right with God so if it was something small like a turtle dove in 15 minutes you knew you were right with God I could come back into the presence of God without any trepidation or without any fear if it was a lamb it would take me a few hours about 15 hours and then I would know that God had approved my sacrifice I could enter back into the presence of God with boldness amen if it was a national issue I just wait a day amen let it barbecue and then after that I would know that my walk with God or my life with God was right and I could enter back in so the size of the offering watch me was the determined by the size of the sin. But in Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, Hebrews 13, 15, it says, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our, man. Like the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So we no longer offer turtle doves. We no longer offer lambs. We no longer offer bulls. Amen. But we offer the fruit of our lips. If God has forgiven you for small things, just give him a little patty cake. Amen. But if God has delivered you from a lot, we have to give, let everything that hath breath praise. Ah! I dare you. Come on, 10 seconds. Give them all you... It was the offering. We gotta go, y'all. It was the offering. After the offering, you had the fire. Fire represents passion, fire represents your love and dedication to God. Now, this is what we think. We're like, Lord, give me more fire and I'll give you more offering. But that's opposite, that's out of order. You don't get more fire. So that you can get more offering, you give more offering so you can get more. For some of you, you're wondering, why have I lost my passion for God? Why does it seem like I'm bored and tired with ministry? Because you're looking to get more passion or you're looking to get a bigger check to get more passion. But you're going to get a bigger check when you have more passion. You think, Lord, give me my passion back and I'll serve you more. No, serve me more and I'll give you your passion back. And then after fire, you have the glorial presence of God. I'm done. Watch me. If the altar is out of order, the offering is illegal. I can't be a Buddhist to my Father God in Jesus' name. You got Christians that fast during Ramadan. You got Christians that burn sage. Uh oh, y'all. You got Christians that do tarot card readings. You got Christians that go to psychics. That's an illegal offering because the foundation is not right. The foundation is not Jesus Christ. If the altar is out of order, the offering is illegal. Watch me. If the offering is illegal, the fire is profane. It's what the scripture calls strange fire. I'm a pastor. I see it all the time. I see people get saved out of the strip club, but they don't have a good foundation. So when they start offering praise to God, because they ain't got a foundation. Now, bless God for her little offering, but that's strange fight. I can't focus in the presence of God with strange fire. If the altar is out of order, the offering is illegal. If the offering is illegal, the fire is strange. Watch me. If the fire is strange, the smoke stinks. And when the smoke stinks, God closes his nostrils. So what did Abraham do in Genesis chapter 22? God says, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son. Why is God asking him to sacrifice what God promised him? Because sometimes the promises of God can become idols. We can believe God for the job so much we can get the job and forget about God. We can believe God for a marriage so much we can get married and stop coming to church. And so the blessing can become an idol when there's no order. So God said, you know, that boy that I gave you, that boy that I promised you, y'all are starting to pay more attention to him than y'all are paying to me. I want you to sacrifice him because God is a jealous God and he wants no God before him. He don't want nobody having your attention more than he has it. Nobody having your time more than he has it. Nobody having your sensuality and your intimacy more than he has it. And if anybody steps in his way, he will. I, I need you to get rid of that but I love it. I know you love it more than you love me. Get rid of it. It's not that it's bad. It's just eclipse my presence. Come on, get rid of it. I need you to get rid of it. And look at God. He chose the right man for the job. He knew that Abraham was doing because he had a track record with Abraham of Abraham leaving stuff behind. Amen. So he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son. And the Bible says early in the morning. That means Abraham did. Well, I'm going to think about it. It's the law. John Maxwell has a law called the law of diminishing intent. It says the longer it takes you to do what you know you should do, the least likely it is you will ever do it. So Abraham knows if he sits around and twiddles his thumb, he'll never do it. I need to do this right now. I need to get rid of it right now. I need to delete them right now. No, I ain't going to wait till after church. I'm going to do it right now. Send him a text right now. I got I to gotta be done with it right now. So Abraham wakes up early in the morning. Watch me out. And the first thing he begins to do is cut wood. You know wood in the scripture represents flesh. Because you don't wait till the evening to deal with your flesh. You deal with it first thing in the morning you know wood can also represent people the bible says that God prayed for a blind man, the blind man opened his eyes, Jesus said what did you see he said I see men as trees psalm chapter 1 says you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, so when Abraham gets up and starts to cut trees he's actually discerning and dividing people only them, only them only them I said them, not them, only them Because he's trying to find out who's going to take this journey with him. He ended up choosing Isaac and two men. I ain't got time. But according to the legend of the Jews, these two men are Eleazar and Ishmael. Amen. And so these two men are going to accompany Abraham on their way to Moriah. They begin their journey into glory. Three days. It took them three days to get there. Three days is significant because we know that Jesus was in the grave for three days. God can do a lot in three days. God can do miraculous things in three days. God can give you that job back in three days. God can heal your grandmother in three days. It don't take God long to do great things. They started to walk for three days. And then the Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place of off. He tells the people that are with him, I need y'all to stay here. Because worship is personal, it's not corporate. Right. We can all praise together. But when I enter the smoke, I mean, when I start worshiping, I got to go all by myself. He says, I need y'all to stay here. Me and my offering. I mean, me and the boy, we're going yonder to worship. They start to a ascend. And the Bible says that Abraham takes the wood that he cut and puts it upon Isaac, his son. This is a picture of Jesus carrying the cross. Isaac has to take the wood, which represents flesh. He has to take the wood, which represents the sins of the world or people. And he has to climb this mountain. He gets to the top of the mountain. Y'all got to watch me. And he says, Dad, I see the wood. I, 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 see, I see the, um, the knife. Um, you got fire. As a matter of fact, the scripture says Abraham had fire in his Watch, we're going to deal with it. He said, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Bro, what we doing? (laughs) Like, what a sacrifice. Watch me. I'm going to give you a secret. If you're ever looking for something and you can't find it, most likely you are it. You ever looking for an answer but you can't find it, it's because you are The answer, come on, somebody say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. But Abraham, come on, y'all, we gone. Abraham had fire. So now, when I'm researching this, I'm like, okay, what do you mean he has fire in his hand? At this particular point, they ain't got lighters. So fire in his hand, I thought at one point, maybe he had a torch right? But Abraham is an old man. So I'm thinking how did that torch survive? Can you imagine Abraham going up the mountain and all of a sudden a big gust of wind come and it blows the torch out and he got to go all the way back down again? And then he got to go back. So I'm thinking it couldn't have been a torch. Maybe it was like flint rocks. You ever seen flint rocks? Where you take the rock. Yeah. See, that's how most of our prayer life is. Come on. I saw some of y'all worship. It was hard for you to get started. I don't like that song. Where is Pastor Ty? but i found out that when it says he had the fire in his hand it's a jewish euphemism it's a metaphor it literally means that he had fire under his control because he was taught the same thing adam was taught he was taught how to put the altar in order So what did Abraham do? He got to the top of the mountain, took the wood, flesh, and he put his flesh in order. He bound up Isaac, his son. And the Bible says he put his son upon the order. I ain't got time. We put too many people in disorder. We put too many things on top of disorder and then wonder why it's crazy. But he puts his son on top of order. He takes the knife according to Hebrews. It represents the word of God which is a two-edged sword. He takes the word of God and right before he's about to kill Isaac God says, Abraham. Abraham stays his hand. Lord, he says don't touch your son. I've provided a ram in the thicket. Watch me out. Where is it? It's behind you. So the only way you can see it, you have to repent. There's an answer to your problem, woman of God. There's a solution to your dilemma, man of God. But you won't see it unless you repent. He turned around. Now, we done. When it says he turned around, when it says that the ram was behind him, What if I told you that Abraham, when he turned, he wasn't just turning directionally. He was turning dimensionally. He was actually changing the direction of his focus from the present or from the future to the past and when he saw the ram, the ram was in the past of God because the scripture says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world he was actually peering into God's past and so he took the ram he sacrificed the ram, watch me, he only got about 15 hours for this ram to be consumed, he only got about 15 hours to meet with God, he only has about 15 hours to be intimate so when he takes this ram and he kills the ram, all all of a sudden the smoke and God enters the smoke but it's a God that Abraham ain't never seen he knows Elohim He's he knows Jehovah uh, he knows Yahweh he knows El Shaddai he knows but he's never met Jehovah Jireh And so it's in the smoke that God says I'm going to show you that I'm the God that sees to it. I'm the God that provides the answer before the problem emerges. I'm the God that created Jesus Christ. See everything that you're going through Isaac everything that you're going through Abraham I've already seen it before because before the foundation of the world I raised up my son Jesus Christ so that he could shed his blood and become Jehovah Jireh for all of the world. Now if you're a believer I need you to give God 30 seconds of crazy ridiculous can you thank God for the lamb thank God for our propitiation thank God for our sacrifice come on y'all stand to your feet I'm done I'm done stand to your feet hallelujah wherever you kill it Whoever you kill. Church is important. We believe that. We believe that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I'm going to tell you this. I ain't got to get to church to kill it. I can be in my living room. Sick and tired of the dilemma that I'm in. And I can make a decision that I don't want this no more. Hear me you're here today and you're ready to make that decision you are here today and as quiet as it's kept you worship good you look good you smell good but you're sick and tired of going through the same cycle and today you want to build an altar today you want to make a decision today you say Lord where's the sacrifice And the Lord is saying, you're the sacrifice. I can't do this without you getting on the altar. You got to give up your opinion. You got to give up what you want for yourself so you can accept what I want. Thanks for listening to today's message. We pray you are blessed by God's word. If you would like to partner with us so that we can continue sharing the gospel around the world, please visit livechurchorlando.com.